And now for something completely different. Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. And good morning and welcome to the show. Of course, it's Tuesday as uh, we get ready to wrap up the last week of April already. I mean, it's, it's uh, you know, come the end of April. April showers bring May flowers, apparently. We'll see. Um, all I know is we've got a lot of pollen and June bugs already. So <laughs> everybody's what, off their clock. That's what April brings you. Everybody's off their clock yeah. right now. June bugs out in April. Dogs sleeping with cats. I mean, it's terrible. You know? Oh, don't forget the love bug infestation. <laughs> yes, and the love bugs and the pollen. Yeah. So, yeah. it's uh, Hey, welcome to Texas. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, lots of stuff going on. Yesterday uh, was interesting from a couple of standpoints. First of all, Elon Musk, uh, of course, had made the bid for Twitter at 5420. Now, you drop the five, you get his very famous 420 marker, which is... Uh, one of his things that he does quite often, throws out numbers always at the 420 level. So 5420 was the bid uh, for Twitter, of course. Remember, Twitter immediately rejected the bid and launched a poison pill. Here's the problem, and we discussed this uh, a bit previously. Poison pills are great to try to fend off a hostile takeover, but they have problems. And particularly the problem that Twitter had is that the offer was so good that going against that offer was actually not in the benefit of shareholders. And corporations do have a responsibility, believe it or not, to their shareholders. And uh, very quickly they were advised that, you know what, you better take that offer. Uh, otherwise you're going to be sued out of nothing. <laughs> out of existence. But here's the interesting thing. Um, if we go back, 5420 basically puts the uh, the stock about where it'll trade today. Um, you know, right, you know, just about halfway through the recent sell-off. So, you know, it's, it's a very nice return here. Now, of course, Elon Musk had bought about 9.2% of the company near the lows. And well, actually at the recent lows, he set the bottom. And that, of course, once he announced his stake in the company, the stock started to rise. So he's had a very, very nice return off of his investment already of, of his 9.2% stake. Of course, now he'll take 100% of the company. Now, interestingly enough, though, if we go back to the beginning of where IPO first came public, you know, back in 2014, the stock is now barely trading above that level. So investors have had no return out of this company now for, you know, uh, almost seven, eight years. And that, of course, is, is an interesting byproduct, considering that Twitter is now one of the major social media platforms in the country. This is this, you know, the people that brought this company public, they made money. Nobody else has really made money on this deal. So again, we'll see how this goes here over the next few days. But this was a very quick turnaround for Elon Musk. Now he's talking about doing some pretty radical things uh, for Twitter. But here's the more interesting thing that I think he's, he's talking about. And I'm not sure exactly how this is going to work out well. So you're paying $44 billion for Twitter. And again... No, by, by all metrics, he's overpaying for the company. The company is not worth $44 billion. But 
he wants to take the company private. Here's the problem I see with him taking it private, and I think he'll opt out of that decision ultimately and leave it a public company because the $44 billion is a function of price of the shares times the number of shares. It's called market capitalization. And so the market capitalization of the company is price times the number of earnings outstanding. Uh, sorry, the number of shares outstanding. So this is kind of where around he is generating $44 billion. The company does not generate $44 billion in revenue. So even at a reasonable multiple of what Twitter pay or, or Twitter makes in terms of income and revenue and actual net earnings, he's paying a vast amount of money for Twitter and the, way more than the company will ever earn. Taking the company private, the company will never earn enough to pay back the $44 billion that he's paying for the company. The only way for him to maximize that $44 billion investment and someday, you know, have a return on that investment is to leave this a public company, improve the platform so that the stock price goes up. And so, you know, that's going to be a generation of more, more ad revenue. Of course, with his personality, maybe he can do this, but attract more advertisers to the site. This is, this is how Twitter makes money. It is, it is through the advertising and through the other, uh, the other platforms they have, subscription services, etc. That's how these social media companies make money. And if Twitter's ever going to grow to the point that it can support a $44 billion valuation, it'll have to stay public. So um, he may take, take it private initially, and that would not be a surprise as he kind of retools the platform and does whatever he's going to do with it, and then bring it back public um, ultimately down the road at some point to capitalize on that investment could very well be the strategy as well. So he has a very small family office that runs his, his basically his net worth in Austin, Texas. And the guy that runs this family office was his Morgan Stanley investment banker that's helped him along the way with most of his deals. So I'm sure there's a strategy being put in place right now, potentially for either taking the company pri private now, retooling the platform, taking it back out public. And that's where he could maximize his value. Take the 44 billion, he comes out public again, raises another 60 billion in the public offering, gets his money back, right? So that's how he potentially works through this process to create a profitable return. Uh, this could be a, probably a 12 to 18 to 24 month process to try to figure out how to turn the company around. Some of the things that he's talked about, of course, is turning the Twitter offices into a homeless shelter. Um, that is funny, but <laughs> it's also a statement as to really the culture of the company. Inside that company, um, there was a recent article about uh, written on Yahoo Finance. The author had gone out to the Yahoo offices, uh, sorry, to the Twitter offices, and said there was basically no energy. There was no activity. There was really kind of nobody around. You know, you would expect to go into the, the Twitter offices and there'd be programmers everywhere programming stuff coming up, but there was some, like no activity whatsoever. The, the building was virtually empty. And so this is, 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 this is kind of, you know, this, you know, goes to the point and the heart of the problems of Twitter over the course of the last few years and really kind of reflects in the stock price. So we'll see how this goes, but this is going to be a very interesting process to watch just from a standpoint of, you know, he wants to create this platform now, take Twitter, turn it back into a platform of free speech less censorship, less control over what's being said. Of course, you know, leaving this as a platform that it was meant to be 
that is non-predatory for users. It, it, it's, he's got some good ideas. We'll see what he can do with it. Of course, you know, he's going to be fighting a big uphill battle, of course, with you know, all of the other major players in the space, Facebook, Google, et cetera, all still pushing on this idea that we need more censorship because, well, you know, we just can't do this ourselves uh, very, very quickly. Um, as we talked about yesterday, markets bounced right off support yesterday. We come down, retested those lows yesterday morning right at the open, retested those March lows, bounced very nicely off that yesterday. Uh, markets are going to be a little bit weak at the open this morning. We'll see if that kind of continues. We've got a lot of earnings coming out today. After the bell today, we've got Google and Microsoft, which will really set the tone for the, the tech side of the, of, the, of the market for the rest of this week. So that kind of all eyes will be watching those two stocks in particular after the bell. We've also got Apple coming up here. We've got Amazon coming up as well over the next few days. That's all going to be driving markets. But pay attention to these recent lows that we set here yesterday. Those are, that's the important level to watch. We'll be right back after the break. More of the Real Investment Show coming right up. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. How do the richest people of the world invest and protect their families? Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff's next virtual lunch and learn on the truth about life insurance will show you how to insure your income, minimize your taxes, and protect your real estate. Thursday, May 12th at noon. The most important insurance policy you'll ever own is the one you'll have when you die. Register now for the truth about life insurance lunch and learn at realinvestmentadvice.com. The truth about life insurance with Ratliff and Rosso. Real Investment advice.com the real investment show and welcome back to the show this morning so interestingly donald trump responding this morning talking about twitter saying he will not rejoin the twitter platform in the event that uh, his account is unfrozen. Remember, after the whole debacle of January 6th um, issue in Washington, uh, President Trump was permanently banned from Twitter and has been, of course, working on setting up his own social network. And that's where he's going to be focusing his attention. But he said this morning in a verbal statement he would not be rejoining Twitter. I don't blame him. <laughs> <laughs> it's really not worth it. <laughs> but it is interesting how tone deaf some of these, you know, billionaires that control the the world as we know it, you know, really are, um, I think, in a lot of cases, you know, they, they are surrounded by a very, you know, a very select number of people that all think exactly the same way they do. So they're kind of in this bubble that, you know, the world works the way they think it works and everybody's completely happy with the status quo not so sure about that uh, but jeff bezos came out and tweeted out on twitter that interesting question did the chinese just gain a bit of leverage over the town square town square being twitter because that was what elon musk had said twitter should be twitter should be the town square where people can go out have free speech say what they need to say and and not be censored right that's the whole purpose of you know, free speech within look and within reason, 
right? Free speech has constraints. You can't go in a crowded theater and yell fire, right? You can't cause damage to other people. But, you know, you should otherwise be able to pretty much state your opinion, right, wrong, or indifferent. And unfortunately, you know, the, the left has become very engaged in censorship of what they deem to be disinformation. Well, you know, it's always the question is who, who, makes, who, who, who makes who the arbiters of what is truth and what is non-truth, right? What is, what is information and what is disinformation? And just because the information being put out there doesn't necessarily agree with your opinion doesn't mean it's disinformation. It doesn't mean that it's wrong. You know, there's been, you know, climate change has been making predictions or people have been making predictions about climate change for the last 50 years. You know how many of those predictions have come accurate or become true? Zero. None. We were supposed to all be dead by now. <laughs> Polar bears were supposed to, to cease to exist like 30 years ago. Right. And so, you know, there's this, you know. Just because the information is put out there and people make predictions about stuff doesn't mean it's necessarily true. And it doesn't mean that it's disinformation if you disagree with what those opinions are. And, and the individuals, and this is the whole purpose of social media, the, the individual is responsible for the information they consume. And it is up to them to verify whether or not they think it's true or not. And if you don't think it's true, if you think there's some guy putting stuff out there like some financial guy on the radio putting out things about the markets is full of it, well, that's your choice, right? He's probably wrong anyway. <laughs> Usually is. <laughs> anyway, Jeff Bezos wading into the foray. Interesting question. The Chinese government just gained a bit of leverage over Town Square. Uh, you know, you got to be careful when you put stuff on Twitter because the one thing that is true about Twitter is that it never forgets. And it only took about 37 seconds before people started responding. How much leverage does China have over the Washington Post, which is, of course, owned by Jeff Bezos, given the percentage of goods sold on Amazon that are dependent on that country for supply? The way the Washington Post disses India, I'd say a lot, but it could be an entirely independent prejudice. Then there's a clip from Amazon, uh, a, a news headline. Amazon agrees to allow only five-star review for President Xi's new book in China. So Amazon agrees that only five-star reviews will be allowed on President Xi's book. Why? Because they want to sell product in China. And if you don't you know, make President Z happy, well, uh, you're not selling stuff in China. In fact, you're not in China, <laughs> and they're not selling stuff to you. So I, exactly the point here being just how much leverage does China have over Amazon? And, and this is why you've got to be careful about the things that you say. You know, uh, did the CIA previously gain leverage with the D.C. local discussion via WAPO, pot and kettle? Amazon to ban the word union on its new worker chat app per internal company documents leaked. Other banned terms include living wage, slave labor, harassment, and restrooms. 
And this this is all Bam Bam's. They didn't want that on their internal chat, right? So, you know, this and so this is the, the problem, you know, what you have, you know, whether it's Amazon or whether it's Facebook or whether it's, you know, uh, all these social media platforms is they have all engaged in censorship to promote and their personal or their corporate views or culture or the things that they don't want to have out there. And look, it's their prerogative. They own the companies, right? But you know, as individuals, we have to make the decision of which platforms do we use and what information do we consume off those ideas because those platforms shape your opinion. And you know, as you and again, we all suffer from this. Particularly in this, and this is particularly when it comes to investing, it's called confirmation bias. And it's one of the biggest traps that investors fall into over time, but it, it really applies to everything in life, not just our investing habits, but confirmation bias applies to everything else. You know, we believe that, you know, COVID 19 is, you know, a certain thing, right? And so then all we seek out is information that confirms our bias. And any information that is non-confirming, right, we dismiss that. We say, well, that's wrong. If we seek out information about, you know, the markets, right? I think the market's going to crash. So all I read are the most bearish articles I can find because it all confirms my opinion that the market's going to crash. But then the market doesn't crash. And so this is why it's important. We've talked about this before. It's always important to read information that disagrees with you. A, it gives you a better focus on what you're doing, but it also helps shape your opinions in a broader manner so that you can understand maybe if your positioning is incorrect. Maybe you're wrong in the way you feel about things. But this is the problem with social media is that the companies themselves are shaping the dialogue to deliver a certain message. And, and that really goes very counter to the whole purpose of the freedom of speech, which is that you should, and this is, this is Elon Musk's point about Twitter, e, t Twitter should be that town square where people can air their opinions, they can say what they want to say without fear of reprisal. You know, and this is, you know, this is the one thing about social media that has really changed the culture. You know, when Brent and I were growing up, you, if you wanted to say something nasty to somebody, you had to go say it to their face, and you generally got punched, you know, afterwards. And so people shut up, <laughs> you know. Or at least minded their manners. Yeah, at least minded their manners. But now you can sit, you know, anonymously behind a screen and, you know, say things to people you would never say to their face. You know, you can be all tough when you're a thousand miles away, sitting on a toilet somewhere, tweeting stuff at people. It's very different to say it to their face. But, you know, this this is the the this kind of this environment that we've created. It's very hostile in a lot of cases on social media. You know, we read articles about teens being, you know, very depressed and stressed and harassed uh, because of social media about the way they look, about the way they think, about the way they dress, whatever it is. But this is the, this is the culture that we've allowed to happen. And, you know, the, the point that, you know, Elon Musk is working on is trying to create his idea is to create a town square where people can air their opinions 
without being harassed. You know, it's, it's, it's going to be a tough challenge, but it'll be interesting to see how it goes. Um, other news out this morning, Ford is now starting today is their kickoff of their F-150 production for the electric F-150. General Motors out this morning also announcing that they will start producing an elect all-electric Corvette which will be interesting. Um, you know, one of the reasons I buy a Corvette is so my car will be faster than everybody else's, but <laughs> that'll just be as fast as every other electric car out there. It'll just have a cool body shape to it. So, You know how they pipe in the exhaust sounds to mm. some automobiles? Yeah. What they'll do for the Corvette is they'll have a little uh, essence hang-up on the rearview mirror so it <laughs> smells like burning oil and fuel. It does. <laughs> You know, I, I will have to tell you, though, where we live in our house, where mm. our house is, you know, we live out in kind of almost the country. East a, San Antonio. Exactly. There's a there's a very straight road not too ah, far from our house. Yeah. And so every night at 2 a.m., right, there's cars <laughs> out there, you know, just gunning it and oh, yeah. racing it down the street. And they're just as loud as they can be. I guess the one benefit is they can all go drag race up and down the street with electric cars and nobody will hear them. <laughs> so. It's <laughs> Like which, a which, I'll, which I'll sleep better that way. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll see how it goes. But what about ozone pollution from all those electric motors? Yeah, well, that's. <laughs> what about all of the, all of the non-climate and earth-friendly problems of mining for all that stuff to yes. build the batteries to begin with? That's yes. that's a whole another argument. People are going to figure out in about ten years that that wasn't such a great idea. <laughs> Let's go back to drooling for oil. Mm -hmm. It was safer and cleaner. <laughs> All right. Be right back after the break. That's a bit of disinformation for you. <laughs> Don't go away. We'll come back. Got stuff to get into. Don't go away. investment advice blog it's required reading for the informed investor catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com how do the richest people of the world invest and protect their families richard rosso and danny ratliff's next virtual lunch and learn on the truth about life insurance will show you how to ensure your income minimize your taxes and protect your real estate thursday may 12th at noon the most important insurance policy you'll ever own is the one you'll have when you die register now for the truth about life insurance lunch and learn at realinvestmentadvice.com the truth about life insurance with ratliff and rosso realinvestmentadvice.com you're listening to the real investment show Welcome back to the show this morning. 
So, Musk potential Twitter changes, an edit button, long needed. Long form tweets, probably not needed. Removing bots, definitely needed. <laughs> so, we'll see. We'll see what he gets changed. We'll see what comes along. Uh, so, a couple of things. Uh, moving on. Yeah. There's a lot of, you know, concern right now. And it was interesting as part of our conversation that we had uh, in this past weekend's newsletter as well is that, you know, below the surface of the market, there's actually been a pretty big bear market going. There's a lot of stocks that are down 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 percent from their peaks. And, you know, that is normally what you would see during a more protracted bear market in the indexes, but you haven't seen that contraction in the index, and that's because money's been rot a rotating very rapidly in the markets, but b it's also been concentrated as money's kind of hiding in the large capitalization name stocks. And and one of the problems that we may run into this summer is an ability to find opportunity. And the reason I say that is, is that the, the market rotation has been so rapid lately that now everything is pretty much overpriced in, in many areas. Um, you know, staples, you're normally, you're kind of, so if you think a bear market's coming, right, you would want to potentially hide in areas that typically do well during bear markets and recessions, and those are generally places like staples, utilities, you know, just kind of your dividend payers, real estate. The problem is, is that that's where money's been hiding already. And you take a look at companies like Procter & Gamble, as an example, trading at, you know, five times price to sell. So very expensive. These are not value-oriented companies. And the, and, the, and the problem that the market has gotten itself into is and this is this is largely due to passive indexing is that people go well I want to be in value because that'll help defend me from a downturn and that's worked this year so far uh, so everybody goes buys value ETFs and now all the underlying stocks in the ETF are very expensive so as we move into a summer if we do wind up in a bigger potential bear market which is certainly possible. The Fed's hiking rates, tightening monetary policy, there's certainly that risk there. Don't want to discount that at all. But the problem is, is there's really not much place to hide in terms of the markets, except in bonds. Bonds have been completely beaten up. They're in a major bear market. In fact, that's the subject of our article on our website today. If you go to realinvestmentadvice.com, we're talking about why the, the bull market in bonds is set to return. And that's simply because those assets are in a major bear market, but not so much in a lot of the areas of the equity market. And even though some of these stocks have corrected 30, 40, 50%, they are cheaper in price, but they are not necessarily cheaper in value. And that's the other problem. So what will be important as we move into the summer, look, and I'm not predicting that we're going to have, you know, and I had this conversation yesterday with a, 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 a gentleman, and he's convinced the market's going to go down another 30 or 40%. And that's certainly possible. You know, we were talking about just a minute ago, talking about confirmation bias and, you know, how we start reading stuff that only 
leads into our views. And you've got to be careful with that because there are some really, really smart people, much smarter than I will ever hope to be, that are predicting very negative outcomes for markets. Jeremy Grantham, John Hussman, others. And these are, these are, these are astoundingly smart people. They just haven't been right in a very long time. And it's easy to get kind of sucked in to that area and forget that our job as investors is to manage money for what is available to us right now. We can have these very long-term negative prediction outcomes of markets, but it takes a very long time for those things to work out. And we can wind up missing out on a lot of opportunity in the market by waiting for that eventual decline. I'm writing, an art, I'm writing a follow-up article to today's article for next week talking about the specific issue. The other problem is, is that when the next bear market comes, and it does come, right? Eventually, you know, we have a, a, a real bear market. And you go, well, I'm going to sit in cash until we get that 50% drawdown in the markets. Okay, sounds good. And then when we get that 50% drawdown in the market, then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go buy everything. No, you won't. It sounds great. But this goes to the very notion of loss aversion. And this is what investors are dealing with right now. I'm scared of a market decline and I don't want to lose my money. So I will not invest in the markets because I don't want to lose my money. See, I'm avoiding loss that way. And that may seem, that may seem smart for right now. I got it. Here's the problem, though. You're worried about the market declining, so you won't invest. Okay. And then the market does decline. It goes down 20%. Aha! I was right. Goes down 30%. See? Told you. I'm a genius. 40% down. I am incredibly smart. This market's going to go to zero. And see, the problem is, is that now you get yourself on the other side of the problem saying, okay, I have now avoided loss and I don't, I definitely don't want to get in now because this market's going to continue to go lower indefinitely. And so you don't get back in. And then the market begins to recover. And as the market begins to recover, then you go, okay, well, you know, that, you know, it's just, that's a reflex of bounce. And every time it's bounced before it just goes lower. So I'm going to stay out. And then the market keeps going up. And then you say, okay, well, next time it pulls back to, you know, the previous bottom and retest those lows, then I'll get in. And then it doesn't. And then it goes up more. And then, well, now the market's overvalued. So when it crashes again, I'll get in the next time. And you never get in. And look, and how do I know this is a true statement? Because we have people come to our office literally all the time that have been out of the market since 2009 for that very reason. And they're like, I'm all in cash. What do I do? How do I get back in the markets? The psychological behaviors of loss aversion are very difficult to break. And this is why it takes a, a process and a methodology to get into the markets and understand that once you're in, there is risk to the downside, but it doesn't mean that you have to absorb all that loss. You don't have to ride the markets down 
into the depths of despair, right? You can sell at any time. And, and, and this is going to be the problem that we go forward to because, see, the market has already gone through a bear market in a lot of areas of the markets. There's a, there's a lot of areas, especially in technology, that have been really beaten up, especially in communications, other areas. These stocks have been really beaten up. You know, we talked about before is that in 2020, we're talking about nobody wanted to buy energy, so it's probably a good time to buy energy. Now everybody wants to buy, you know, the inflation stocks. Now that trade looks to maybe be topping. So where's money rotate to next? And that's kind of the big problem is, is where is this next rotation? Are we about to move from the inflation trade back to the deflation trade? Is inflation, is the peak of inflation now behind us? And is now the time to start looking at moving towards more towards that deflationary trade as we get later into the year? You know, a lot of people are talking about stagflation, which is low economic growth with high inflation. That doesn't last very long. You really can't have stagflation for very long. And the reason is, is that the inflation kills consumption. Consumption leads to slower economic growth. So you temporarily have this high inflation measure with slowing economic growth. So it seems like you have stagflation. But the longer that that goes on, the more drag you have on the supply-demand imbalance, demand underperforming the supply, and prices fall. So eventually, stagflation becomes deflation until inflation catches up with lower rates of economic growth. And that's just the history of it all. There's a very high correlation historically between inflation and economic growth, as it should be. Interest rates follow suit. So the outcome of stagflation might be temporary, but the real problem as we get into 2022, late 2022, 2023, is going to be slow economic to recessionary growth. And what performs well in that environment will be bonds. And that's the, that's the whole kind of crux of the article today that's on the website. So when we come back uh, from the break, we'll uh, wrap up the show. A couple other quick topics here. Get you on your way for the day. I'm your host, Lance Roberts. Get by the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. Our blog post on why the bull market and bonds is coming back with a vengeance. On the website now, realinvestmentadvice.com. Don't go away.
daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. How do the richest people of the world invest and protect their families? Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff's next virtual lunch and learn on the truth about life insurance. We'll show you how to ensure your income, minimize your taxes, and protect your real estate. Thursday, May 12th at noon. The most important insurance policy you'll ever own is the one you'll have when you die. Register now for the truth about life insurance lunch and learn at realinvestmentadvice.com. The truth about life insurance with Ratliff and Rosso. Realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. And welcome back to the show. So there's a new Nicolas Cage movie coming out. Oh? Yeah, you know, he did the the whole uh, thing about National Treasure. National Treasure, yes. Right? And mm-hmm. he had the sequel to that where he stole the Constitution. So <laughs> there's a new, uh, a new script in the works. Uh, according to a group of treasure hunters, they are suing the Department of Justice over several tons of buried Civil War-era gold that they claim the FBI may have found and absconded with. The hall was supposedly lost or stolen during the 1863 Battle of Gettysburg. The gold was apparently on the way uh, to the Philadelphia Mint and got lost. And according to Finders Keepers, which is the treasure hunting group that has been searching for this gold for years, they said that they had led the FBI uh, to a specific area, 135 miles northeast of Pittsburgh, where... They say the instruments, their instruments had detected a large hunk of metal. According to the CBS report, the FBI's contractor said they detected a nine-ton metallic mass suggestive of gold. Finders Keepers accompanied, to the FBI, accompanied the FBI to the dig site where they were confined to their car during the dig. And then the gold magically disappeared. And the FBI is saying, we didn't find anything. <laughs> The Department of Justice says there's a thousand photos and twenty five hundred twenty four hundred pages of records that they will turn over in five hundred page tranches starting at the end of May. Uh, But the videos have mysteriously disappeared. Oh, really? You know, there's one thing that has become a very common truth of our government over the course of the last you know few years in particular. Mm-hmm. They lose a lot of crap. Stuff disappears. Yeah, uh, there's a lot, right? Yeah. It's yeah. like, you know, you're supposed to be preserving these records. Like, don't know, the, all those hard drives just magically got wiped Money, or disappeared. people. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Where's Bob? I, I don't dis- know. Disappeared. Bob who? Yeah. <laughs> no Bob here. No conspiracy theory. None whatsoever. Just, just suggestive that there's some really lax record keeping <laughs> in our government when you supposedly are they're supposed to be responsible for it. Except at the IRS. Ex- no. Remember remember during the whole uh, uh, tax record investigation where the FBI was going after conservative groups? Oh, yeah. They yeah. got the lawsuit, and then all those hard drives magically disappeared. Well, that was selective. Yeah. But just, just if it those. was you or me, yeah, they got every, oh, yeah, every yeah, piece. Absolutely. But yeah, the ones they didn't want found, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, yeah, those all magically disappeared. Poof. They drilled. <laughs> Discarded. <laughs> Recycled. 
Yeah, they'll turn up with the, with the, with the Kennedy records eventually. <laughs> <laughs> um, other strange news out this morning. <laughs> a Harvard astrophysicist says that alien tech crashed into the Pacific Ocean. Now, there was a, a object that did crash into the ocean. It was, it was determined to be a meteorite. But he's convinced that it is actually alien technology and he wants to go dig for it or die for it, I should say, uh, because his whole goal in life is to push buttons on some alien technology. That's that's what he wants to do. Just 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 push some buttons that may not work out very well for you. No. <laughs> if you happen to do find some alien technology, not sure I just go plank around and pushing some buttons considering you can't read the language, right? Right. Self-destruct. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, get ready to wrap up here. You know, the stupidity of government never ceases to amaze one. The, the reason that we have the problem right now in the economy in terms of inflation is because we printed $5 trillion worth of money and we sent it directly to households and individuals went and spent that money creating a inflationary push of demand exceeding supply that we now have these inflationary pressures. So you have to wonder just how stupid the monetary and fiscal authorities are Globally, according to the Nikkei, Japan plans to spend 6.2 trillion yen, that's about $48.2 billion, on gas subsidies, low interest loans, and cash assistance to alleviate the pain of consumers and small businesses facing rising prices, which were caused by massive government spending. So we're going to solve the inflation problem by doing exactly what caused inflation to start with. Makes complete sense. And this is the you know, and that's that's Japan, right? But we're doing the same thing here. We we are trying to figure out ways to allow people to continue to spend money, which is causing the inflationary pressure to remain. For instance, one of the things that we did during the pandemic shutdown is that we gave people all this money and we said, okay, here's money for you to spend, but guess what? You don't have to pay your mortgage payment, your rent payment, et cetera. We're going to put a moratorium on rent payments. So you don't have to pay your rent, which gave people even more money to spend because now I don't have to pay my rent. We're still trying to do that stuff now because we're saying, okay, well, don't worry about paying back your student loan debt. We talked about that yesterday. You know, the whole student loan forgiveness debacle is is just a mess. And I did a I did a news uh, a news interview here just recently talking about that very thing is that, you know, the, the things that we are doing in the name of trying to help people actually hurts them longer term. Because we don't think through the unintended consequences. One of the great lines just recently from the IMF was. Well, maybe we printed too much money. No kidding. 
But this was this whole idea of modern monetary theory, which, you know, we have been talking about for years that, you know, it's neither modern monetary or a theory and that trying to use modern monetary theory to support economic growth was going to have very dismal outcomes. And well, here you go. It didn't take a rocket science to figure out that if you send money into the economy, you're going to get inflationary pressures, which is going to hurt people. I wrote an article shortly after we began doing a lot of these monetary interventions. And there was a comment right after Joe Biden got elected that his policies, another $1.4 trillion of money being sent to households, was going to lift 40% of Americans out of poverty. And I said, yeah, it'll lift them out of poverty for exactly one year until that inflation hits. And guess what? They're all back in poverty again and struggling to make ends meet. It was just simply the reality of what was going to happen. And it didn't take, it, it didn't take you know, a PhD economist to figure out that that was going to be the outcome of sending money into an economy that had been shut down from activity. And now you have the consequence. So, so the problem now is that, and, and this is what Japan's going to try to do, and we're going to try to do the same thing ultimately. You just wait and watch. Is that, well, printing money caused inflation, so let's print more money to solve the inflation problem by giving people more money to spend so they can pay for the stuff that's overpriced. The government frames the economic package to be complied to be compiled as early as Tuesday as comprehensive relief measures, but critics, um, at least those who refuse or fail to see the real monetary elephant in the room, see them as short a short-term remedy, especially as other countries tackle more fundamental changes on energy and other key economic factors in response to uh, Russians, uh, Russia invasion of Ukraine. But here's the kicker. To pay for the package, the government will request 2.7 trillion yen under the supplementary fiscal 2022 budget to be drafted by the end of the current parliamentary session. It will secure another 1.5 trillion yen from its own reserves funds together with private sector contributions. The entire package expected to total 13.2 trillion yen. The largest portion of the government spending will uh, will fund the response by to surging oil uh, prices to limit the increase in, in gasoline prices. The government will raise its maximum subsidy to oil distributors to 35 yen per liter per tw uh, from 25 yen. The new package includes about two trillion yen in measures. So the point about this is that here's a country, and if you want to know, and this is another big reason for our bullish stance on bonds. Japan can't have interest rates much above zero because they can't support it. And now they're going to issue more debt to do this, and they have to keep those interest rates near zero. So if you want to know ultimately where the 10-year Treasury rate is going, it's going to zero. There's a very long-term correlation between the Japanese JGB and the 10-year Treasury note. And we're eventually heading down to the same level as the Japanese JGB. And this is because of the debt, ultimately. One of the big problems that the U.S. has right now on a budgetary basis is rising interest rates because that's increasing the amount of money we have to spend on servicing interest and servicing debt. 
So eventually, in order to continue to fund government programs, government operations, the pressure to push rates lower will continue. But the debt itself is deflationary, and eventually we wind up back right where we started. All right, wrap up the show for the day. Have a great day. See you back here tomorrow for the Wednesday edition. Get by the website, realinvestmentadvice.com, our, our primer on why the bull market and bonds is coming back on the website now, realinvestmentadvice.com. See you back here tomorrow. Stick around. Three minutes on Markets of Money. Come right up. It's a rich man.